Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to my time capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or love, and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian Rob Orton. Now, Rob's a writer, performer, and one of the most unique stand-up comedians around today. He started stand-up in 2008, and since has created ten one-hour shows for the Edinburgh Festival. Every year, he picks a subject that's important to him, and so far, his shows have included The Yellow Show, The Sky Show, The Face Show, The Water Show, The Sleep Show, The Hair Show, The Talk Show, The Time Show, The Crowd Show, and the tenth one is called The Rob Orton Show. Rob has had his work played on radio by Jarvis Cocker, Keris Matthews and Scroobius Pip, and shown on the television by BBC One, BBC Two, Channel Four and Netflix. He's had four collections of his writings and drawings published by Burning Eye Books and one book published by HarperCollins Nonfiction. Throughout 2020, he put out a daily episode of the Rob Orton Daily Podcast and he's doing it again in 2024. 365 short pieces written and read out by Rob. In 2020, it won a gold award at the British Podcast Awards and reached 1.5 million listeners. So listen out for it. Also, at the end of January 2024, Rob will be touring the UK with The Rob Orton Show and then heading to Australia for the Melbourne Festival. And I have to say that once you've listened to this lovely man and the five things from his life he'd want in a time capsule, I'm sure you'll be following the link in the description of this episode and booking tickets at a theatre near you. So let's get on with it. Here is the unique Rob Orton. Hello, Mike. Hello, Rob. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Yes. Uh, you're looking well? Yeah, you too. Lovely sunny day where you are. It's a lovely sunny day here as well. Yeah. One of my favourite months. My wife's as well. Yeah, she loves it. I always think, no, no, this is going into the darkness. You know, I, I feel as if it's swamping me. Yeah. I like the cold and I'm not scared of the dark. I don't think too much. Not anymore. <laughs> and no. um I do like it, yeah. I don't know. It's just something about it. It feels like the sun's really trying. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. I'm into the effort that it's putting in. in yeah. Send it a postcard. Yeah. And say thank you. Uh, Rob, I've not seen you perform live before. And of course, in preparation for this, I just did that thing of let's have a look at a few clips. Yeah. And my God, you're a funny man. You made me cry with laughter. Well, thanks for, thanks for watching them. I think it's one of those things where. I am really trying to crack a way of um, packaging what I do on stage online or on telly or yeah. something like that because I feel like the experience that I have in live performance and creating a mood within a room for an hour, I just love that. And it's so visceral and difficult and challenging and brilliant and trying to get all that into like a five minute clip or something it's just a completely different beast isn't it i mean things like instagram i put i put a clip on instagram of just going where does the sky start does the sky start where the ground stops what's this bit and <laughs> it's that, and then it and then it ended and then that got me three thousand new followers in about three days or something so, isn't it? it's completely unpredictable that world that's the problem with it it is completely unpredictable and it kind of makes me think is that a world that you can really base a career around that is as unpredictable as that? Yeah. When actually, actually going up to the Edinburgh Fringe 10 years in a row, right in an hour, mm -hmm. and kind of trying to um, get some chops with regard to comedy timing or learning to ignore a the sound of a glass falling over in the room <laughs> or something yeah. like that. You know, like these skills that you try to build up over time. Mm. But I think it does take that long, Rob. I really do think that mm. you've approached it in the right way. Rather than sort of going, well, I've done a funny show. Now, can I be on the telly, please? Uh, I think the idea that you've sort of gone, well, actually, I'm going to really perfect this. And it's very clear watching it that you are in complete control of it. You are so relaxed in that situation. I mean, you may not feel it personally, but uh, it looks relaxed, which is the skill. Yeah, and well, thank you. I think that, um, I mean, I did... After my, I did a first show I did was about the colour yellow called the Yellow Show, mm -hmm. and I did think I've done a funny show. Can I go on TV now? But <laughs> I, 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 I mean, don't think that I didn't have that thought. That's what I wanted. But it doesn't happen. It. I, I honestly felt in 2012 when I went up and did that show all about the colour yellow and was flying on the Royal Mile in my little yellow paddling pool and mm. had one of those um, foam noodle things for swimming and I cut a. Uh, slit in the end of it with a Stanley knife and put my flyer in and I was fishing it out in the warm eye like that and trying to get people to take the flyers and mm -hmm. it was great and I put myself through that month and I thought right I'm ready now I'll have my radio series I'll have my tv series please and then that'll be me forever and yeah. it just isn't no. it just isn't and it, it, it could have happened but I mean I had a one experience I had that was 
it's so amazing how quickly you learn. That's the best thing for me about the Edinburgh Festival is it's such a boot camp of experience of, um, right, okay, you're going to learn this about performance today. Now you're going to learn this. You're going to learn this. You're going to learn this. And one thing that I learned is that um, I was about to go into my show that was on the Free Fringe in the Banshee Labyrinth. It's one of the Free Fringe venues there. And um, this guy came up to me and he went, um, oh, you know who that is, don't you? And I said, no. And he said, oh, it's this journalist from this newspaper. I was like, and he said, oh, if you get a good review, then that could really make you fringe, you know. And I thought, oh, okay. And then I did the mm. show and it was kind of okay. And then a couple of days later, someone phoned, one of my friends phoned me up and said, oh, I've just heard this journalist on Radio 4. And she said that yours was her favourite show you've, she's seen so far. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I opened the newspaper a couple of days after that and it was like a three-star review. I was like, what? Mm. No. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. I thought because you know the whole currency of Edinburgh is like, well, you need four or five stars. Yeah, absolutely. It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I mean, what's ridiculous is that we've gone from a point where, in fact, one of the most popular shows on the television was fundamentally a man sitting in a chair telling funny jokes. So you, you talk about the Dave Allen show a long time ago, and that was mainstream. Saturday night entertainment and people were very just you know a few little sketches in it but mostly him very slowly very calmly being very funny and people were willing to give their time to it but actually you're right that Instagram world has meant that you know you your delivery is is deliberately slow it's it's deliberately take your time with this think about it and you leave gaps in between, which I really like. I really like the, the fact that you will just stand there and let people, in a way, cogitate. Yeah, I think um, basically my bread and butter is words, basically. I just love trying to capture the ideas that come into my head. Look, look, luckily, sometimes they're good, other times they're not. And that's that thing of the trial and error of um, yeah. coming up, of, of saying something to an audience and thinking, well, that came from the same place that my good idea came from. Why isn't that? <laughs> Why? You know, it's like Leonard Cohen said about um, if I knew where the good songs came from, I'd go there all the time. Yeah. And but for me, I think if I can say something and let people kind of go, hmm, I'm not kind of sure what that was. And then <laughs> it, it, it's just picking people up year yeah. on year people almost need a safety around them to think they look across to their friend and like look and see if they're laughing and like oh this is funny it's not like <laughs> it's not like i'm going joke 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 but saying no. things that are a bit more um people are going to kind of meet me halfway with it i think I, i'm mm -hmm. not like um giving it to them on a plate completely no a lot of my um favorite art is like that like i did art at I loved art at school did a graphic design degree and that's kind of what I, I do love but a lot of my favorite art is stuff that you've got to um put a bit of work in yourself to get a lot out of it say like mm. martin creed or something with a big uh, box full of every different ball that there's ever been you know, like basketball golf ball and all those and just like the more you bring to it yourself the more you get out of it and i feel like i'm definitely trying to give people a bit of room to go all right well he's had it a bit of enjoyment from the idea that's come to him. And then I'm just trying to deliver those. So when you say about um, the online world, it's like, I'm sure that there's some sort of vehicle mm -hmm. that I could develop to get the ideas across in an effective way. 
Yeah, I think you have to just stick with what you do, you know, in a way you have to just keep doing it because mm. I think that rather than you going and finding that world, yeah. in the end it comes to you. When you look at the people who've, who've, who've championed you in a way, people like Scroobius Pip, you know, they've absolutely they ploughed their own furrow and there are enough people in the world that they will find him. They know how great he is. Yeah, I mean... That was 2013 when Scroobius Pitt was up at the Edinburgh Festival doing his own show. Yeah. And I'd done, I'd done my Yellow show, and that was a show all about the sky. Mm-hmm. And it was in the same venue. And um, he came to the show, and we'd done some spoken word gigs together anyway. Right. And he was doing a, a full show at the Pleasance. Yeah. And he was saying to his crowd every day, go and see this person so mm-hmm. it was that i mean the support they show me is ridiculous really and some of the gigs we did together at uh, the festival festival on the isle of Wight was some of my favorite gigs ever and i've got a quote on my windowsill that says um optimism is the faith that leads to achievement nothing can be done without hope and confidence that's from helen keller mm-hmm. and i do believe that like in 2007 when i did my first ever gig i I approach gigs now with the same thing in my brain of just trying to prove myself, really prove myself to myself yeah. and just, just try to, it's like with acting. I mean, I've only done a tiny little bit of acting, but going into an audition and thinking, I, c- I think I can bring something to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a lot of auditions. I've only, I've, I've, had, I've had a few, a few parts, but it's different. And I think the thing with acting is that, I mean, you must love, do you love the, elements of like being part of a team with acting i do like that yes i like the fact that you get this this group of people around you i've always thought that stand-up can be a very lonely profession you're doing this tour aren't you it's, it's a big tour but that will just be you and i suppose sort of stage manager person driving you around that sort of thing i wish no it was no. Oh, I've, right. I've always done it so it's just me and the train and my suitcase <laughs> full of um, props. So you've got to make friends with people on the train then. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, some of the experience I've, I've had on the train have just been crazy, but it is a long tour. Mm. Um, but I do love travelling on the train because I love the space that you get to yourself. Well, not literally, but in, in your brain on the train. Mm-hmm. And looking out the window, I'm a big fan of the window and... Um, just seeing the different parts of the country and the tour, I'm really looking forward to the tour. Mm. Um, and the, the, I mean, if someone had said to me, okay, you'll be doing this, you'll be, you know, I've done your show in Edinburgh and then you'll be doing your tour, then I would have snapped their hand off, really. I mean, I've got some stuff that I talk about in my time capsule. But you finish up at what every stand-up I've ever spoken to who's been there says is their favourite gig, which is Mahantleth at the end, the festival. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you been there? My wife lived very near to it, so I know it well. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing. Um, Wales is such a special part of the country, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Just unbelievable. Like some of the best countryside I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. There's an atmosphere as well. There's a sense. I don't know what it is in Wales, but there is a sense that almost that if you if you went round the corner, there'd be someone to help you. Absolutely, yeah. The people seem to really have each other's backs, don't they? Yeah. I don't know if that's just me looking on from an outside point of view, but there does seem to be a, a real sense of community. Mm-hmm. 
That is definitely prevalent in, in the um, at the Macuncliffe Comedy Festival. Um, there was one year I stayed on the campsite there, and the Welsh rain really battered me, and it broke <laughs> my tent. And I, uh, yeah, it was it was full on, but it was great. Yeah, I love it, and I'm doing that again next year. And I do approach these things of going, okay, Rob, you're in a small room and there's 15 people when I first did it and then mm-hmm. you know next last time I did it it was fallen it was like 300 people and I was just thought well done for keeping on going because it's it's not a coincidence that the people who are 60 70 still doing stand-up it's not a coincidence that the only reason they're still doing it is because they kept doing it yeah you know would have been very easy for Billy Conley to be like he could have had one or two brilliant Edinburgh shows and then just gone oh I can't be asked now Yeah, you could easily sort of, in a way, be tempted away. For example, if suddenly television and everything does come along and, you know, you can play really huge halls and make a lot of money, you sort of go, well, actually, you know, I only need to do four or five shows a year and and I'm covered. It's crazy. Yeah, It's the desire to perform, though, isn't it? It's the desire to get in front of those people and do it that makes people keep doing it. I love the fact when people who've been away for it a long time, for example, Frank Skinner went back to it, having been away for ages... And was really nervous about it and played small venues and then built up and very quickly found that actually it was like riding a bike. He hadn't lost it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's an absolute genius, isn't he? I worked Mm. with him on a play in Edinburgh in 2017 and I got to work quite closely with Frank and um, such a force of nature when it comes to making people laugh. Yeah. I feel like a lot of my heroes are like that. Like Neil Young was talking about, um, he feels like that he's got a um, radio antenna and it just gets chan- it gets aired into him and then it's just up to him to try to kind of not get in the way of it really uh, right. and just let it flow through him. And I feel like Frank Skinner's the same as that. And a lot of my, you know, Bob Dylan, when he when he's um, talking about um, some of his early work in one of those... Mm interviews he did a few years ago and he's um talking about some of his lyrics and he's just saying you can't sit down to try to write that it's just not happening i can't do that anymore <laughs> no. it, it was just it was just absolutely coming through him and he was capturing it and um yeah absolutely amazing yeah well uh, the idea that you would entertain people by seeing whether a tic-tac goes through the hole in a polo to me is that it, that's your moment of genius yeah well, I mean, not all crowds think that, but do they not? Was, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to come round. I'm going to have to come to every show and make yeah. sure that I roar with laughter because yeah. it, it deserves it. It's brilliant. That does, that does actually, I think, sweets can be quite disarming on stage, even <laughs> if you, you know, even if you're playing at a really tough gig where people aren't invested at all, yeah. and you bring out the tic tacs and the polos and say. Okay, everyone, do you think a tic tac could fit through the hole of a polo? <laughs> there is kind of prick up and go, oh, yeah, we understand this. Okay. Human beings do like a really stupid challenge, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Rob, we should talk about the things you've chosen to put into a time capsule, which is what we're supposed to do on this. But uh, I'm very interested to find out what you would personally like to put into a time capsule. Okay, well, the first thing I'd like to put into a time capsule is um, some bronze catfish eggs okay so the story with this is that when i was little my mum and dad got me a big fish tank it was about it was quite big my my bedroom was wasn't massive but it was the the fish tank was about a meter long and it, it was about a foot deep so it was pretty big yeah and um 
It was such a special memory of going to the, uh, it was called Ebor Aquatics in York and mm -hmm. um, going with my dad and um, buying the gravel and washing the gravel in the kitchen sink and sieving it until the dust from it kind of the water ran clear underneath and it took ages and then we bought all the plants and we filled it up with water and put the water conditioner in it and the filter and we'd go we'd take me like on a, mainly friday nights i think and we'd go and buy these fish and it was just absolutely fantastic and the one time we bought um a bronze catfish and we called him sob i think because um i don't know who it was after after but we just called it sol and then we got <laughs> another one and called it vince so it was sol and vince and anyway we didn't know what sex they were anyway one day i was looking at the fish tank and the smaller one had some eggs under her fins hmm. and swam up the side of the filter and placed them on the on the side of the filter that was kind of one of the most what looked like the safest places and looking back on that, I can't believe that I was in the room at the time when they made that journey up the side of the filter and placed those eggs there because I had a, a, a book about the about all the tropical fish and they'd have the categories of um, ease of breeding and then like it would say very rarely do you get these to breed in captivity, but they did breed. I don't know why. Maybe they felt very at home in there or something. Mm. Anyway, they placed these kind of pearlescent eggs that were almost, they were like, the size of coriander seeds maybe yeah. up there. and um i was looking at them and then we'd had some other fish breeding their platies that these tropical fish they're really prolific breeders yeah and we had loads of the babies in there <laughs> and the platy babies found out where the catfish eggs were and just ate them and i saw this happen in real time and so i thought i would love to get those eggs and freeze them and put them in a time capsule and like put a note on it saying these are Corridorus catfish, bronze catfish eggs. I couldn't make them live, but maybe you can. Can you put them in a fish tank? <laughs> yeah, that's a fabulous thing. I think um, from my own experiences of tropical fish keeping, that at that moment you're supposed to separate them. You put a piece of glass in the fish tank that keeps the catfish and the, the eggs separate from the other fish. I think wow. that's what you're supposed to do. That was the mistake you made as a young child. But who hasn't made those sort of mistakes? <laughs> you know, uh, but what an extraordinary thing. It's like you say, there would be nature film people who would spend months just sitting there waiting to see that happen, to witness that transference of the, the eggs from having laid them. Yeah, the chances of me being there at that time were mm. very, very slim. And I, I did feel kind of privileged to see it, even though I was probably only 11 or 12 at the time. Yeah. It was good. I'm really pleased that the, my mum and dad got me a, a fish tank because there is a certain amount of responsibility that comes with it. You know, you've got to clean the sides to get all mm -hmm. the algae off and you've got to clean the filter. And even though it's just... it's um doesn't sound like much of a responsibility but it, it was for like a little kid you know and um yeah so that was just, just a very um specific memory of i remember it when my dad got it and he had it in his office and then we filled it up with water and yeah that was it so i mean maybe it would have been better for me to put the fish tank in but i think i think i'll stick with the uh eggs no, I think it's very good, very specific. And who knows uh, when this time capsule is opened, 
I mean, a lot of people, when we do this, we play this game, immediately say, well, I want it for me. So I'm going to have it when I'm older and I can go back and look at it. But it, I like the idea that some of them are for the future, for whenever, whenever they're discovered. And there may be a time, the way the world's going, when in fact people go, oh, oh that's interesting because these are extinct. Yeah. I've been thinking about extinction recently and I was in the um, Natural History Museum the other day. Yeah. And if everything is infinite, then surely extinction isn't forever. You know, like if space and time goes on forever and ever and ever and ever, maybe the cells of a dodo or whatever, it will happen again. It's just, it might be like, it will come to be again, but just trillions of years into the future. Maybe if it's like, if it's happened once, maybe it can happen again. I don't know. Yeah. Well, as you say, infinity means that, in fact, everything can happen again and again and again and again. It can repeat itself. There's no reason why not, because there's an infinite variation. It's why the idea of an infinite number of monkeys will eventually type the works of Shakespeare by accident. Absolutely. If there is an infinite amount of um, galaxies, solar system, and everything like that, which is, you know, you see those videos every now and again on Twitter when it starts with the ball of the Earth, and then it, it zooms out and out and out and out and out and out and then it just... <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I just love thinking about the variations of maybe, you know, there's a world that's exactly like ours, but only certain things are different, you know, maybe like silver skin onions have actually got a skin made from actual silver. And that's the only <laughs> thing. Anyway, I'm going off topic. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll put the eggs in. That's the yeah. first thing. That's right. number one. Okay, Rob, what's number two? Okay, so when I started doing gigs in 2007, I, I first of all, I worked in advertising. I moved on to London in 2005 and um, basically just wanted to share my ideas. And I thought, what industry can I possibly go in that likes creative people who like having ideas? So I started working in advertising and then I started doing gigs on the side basically mm. because my old creative director yeah one day came up to me and said oh we're having a fireworks party in my back garden there's going to be a bit of poetry and um i thought all oh, right okay poetry i mean advertising had been almost a perfect job but it is a business and you've got to jump through a lot of hoops for a lot of clients and things like that so in my notebooks i started to really just go off for money in my notebooks about capturing the ideas that I wanted to have. And I felt so free in my notebooks. Mm. And then one day he said, I'm having a fireworks party. There's going to be a bit of poetry. And, and I said, can I come and read some of my stuff from my notebooks? And he said, yes. And that was my first ever gig. So that's what I was standing on his garden wall and um, <laughs> fireworks party. That was my first ever gig. And so I got made redundant in advertising, but I'd started doing so many gigs on the evenings that I thought I'm just going to try and, I'm going to take the plunge and I'm just going to try and do this full time. Now, the thing is, you know, people say follow your dreams and things like that. I do think that's true to a certain extent, but you do have to be able to pay for food, you know, when you're starting off. So I got a job um, working in an art shop on Berwick Street in Soho. Let's fill this town with artists, Cass Art. Yeah, I know it, yeah. And um, I worked in there as a, first of all, I was a sales assistant and then I started working in the stockroom. And when I was a stockroom assistant, I was working from, it was half past seven in the morning doing the deliveries until half four. So kind of a standard length day, but there was, it was a very physical job. There was a lot of moving of heavy boxes of paints and big boxes of canvas and things like that. 
it was physical. And so I was in this job dreaming of um, just being able to do what I want all the time creatively. Mm. And, you know, you get these celebrities come in and buy their paints because it was in Soho, you know, there's a lot of voiceover houses there, a lot of people yeah. going for meetings. I remember Dylan Moran came in one time and um, he just put loads of £50 notes on the desk and said, um, take what you need. And I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. I thought, what? And then Peter Capaldi would come in and buy his watercolour pencils and things like that. And anyway, one day, one of my favourite artists, Billy Childish, came in, and I love his music and I love his um, art. And um, he said, have you got a one of the uh, Stadler rubbers with the blue and white paper sleeve? And I said, oh, yeah, they're, they're over here. And he said, yeah, they're the best ones. I said, yeah, I know they are, and they, they are the best ones. The Stadler <laughs> with the blue and white sleeve are the best ones. And I said to him, oh, I'm a big fan of your work, by the way. Sorry, sorry, I'm just... I'm." Sorry to bother you, but I'm a big fan of your work. And he said, um, oh, great. Well, I'm going to go and rub some of it out now. And then I went over to the, I was like putting my paints out, whatever, from the delivery. And he was paying for his stuff. And he said, oh, come here. And I went, what? I said, oh, no, I don't think there's any more in the stockroom. And he said, no, no, come here. I want to give you something. And he gave me a metallic badge in a small cardboard box. And it was black and gold. And round the outside, it said, um, hero of the British art resistance. <laughs> and um, he gave it to me and it's a metal badge and I've still got it now. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he said, um, I think it was like, you'll be all right. And that was it. Brilliant. Just, yeah. So I'd put that in and that gave me a lot of faith. And mm -hmm. just, I mean, obviously I don't think I'm a hero of the British art resistance, but if I <laughs> do ever feel like I'm shaking a bit, I think like there's one of his prints that I had on my wall that was, it says, um, uh, trust your dissatisfaction. And I really do feel that, you know, mm -hmm. I think you've got to have a certain amount of hunger and trusting your dissatisfaction with like, you know, sometimes people say to me, Oh, these are, these are your sales for your tour and stuff like that. And, they're kind of like, you're not happy with that. I'm like, well, no, I want to sell it out. You know, yeah, this is, yeah, of course. I've, got to, I've got to aim to sell this out because I've worked so hard on it. And I know that it's made me feel like the work I've done has made me feel how I want to feel. And I feel like I could, I could, I feel like more people will like this stuff. It's just getting to them. Mm -hmm. And um, it is, so it is, I feel like that dissatisfaction and hunger is so important within the arts, isn't it? Of Yeah. If you sit on your laurels for, I think it's all right to have a holiday, but <laughs> you've got to keep going, haven't you? You've got to stay hungry for it. Yeah. Well, I hope this helps because uh, I think your work is fabulous. I think I've already said that, but I'm going to say it again. So uh, it's brilliant, but uh, be careful of that art resistance. You know, they're good. They're, when they come in on mass, with their palettes and their, their paintbrushes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a frightening sight, I have to say. <laughs> I love the, um, I don't know whose joke it is, but um, somebody originally would have made this joke up, which is that, yeah. you know, when they say, you know, always follow your dreams, uh, apart from the one where you're naked in Tesco's. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great yeah. thing, that little badge. What a lovely thing for him to do. I think that um, when an artist has got to a point where they are really successful, to recognise and to remember where you came from is absolutely crucial. And he 
I'm sure, would have seen that in you, would have seen that enthusiasm and was therefore, in a way, rewarding it. I hope so. I feel mm. like enthusiasm is 50% of the battle, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, trying to stay excited about what... In you, life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And just enthusiasm for life and just trying to stay excited about what could be classed as mundane things of being alive. And that's why I've been writing these shows about the mm-hmm. sky, about people's faces, water, the miracle that it is that we can communicate with people and animals and just try to live every day like it's my first and just try to look at it and go, whoa, look at all this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's obviously very difficult and I can't do that all the time. But no. If I'm in the if I'm in the right headspace, I can you know, and I do feel wowed by a lot of things, and I've just got to try to hang on to that, and I always will try to hang on to that. The enthusiasm for it all, lovely, and that badge will help. So that goes into the time capsule. That's your second thing. Yeah. Okay, Rob, what's number three that you want to put in the time capsule? Okay, Corral, it's time for some adverts. If we're lucky enough to have some, we'll be back in a minute. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the ads. If you didn't, then you can get this podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus, as you've already probably heard. Details in the description alongside this pod. But for now, let's get back to Rob Orton and hear the rest of his time capsule choices. Okay, so... Um, do you know, I, I've started saying... and uh, Do you mind, because I think I say it a lot of times, Rob, sorry to interrupt, but I, you, would you say a time... I say, I found myself listening back to it saying, time capsule. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm sure when I was younger, I called it a time capsule. Yeah, Just, time, you know? time capsule. 
Is it me being? Tra- is it me trying to be posh? Uh, what do you think? Capsules posh? Do you think it sounds? It sounds as if I've overpronounced it. You know, it's a capsule. Oh, cap- yeah, you're really getting the s in there. Yeah, like, ca- capsule. I've capsule. put an e in there somewhere, isn't it? It doesn't exist. It's a capsule. No, capsule. I don't know. <laughs> who Google trying to trying to find out who says? Yeah, you're the best man to ask because I know your your detail with words. So uh, time capsule. I don't know. It's a great word though, isn't it? It's one of it's those. It's a good word. It's a good word. You don't give it much attention, and then you start saying it. Capsule. Oh, capsule. I think I love the word radiator. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, number four on my next number three. One, number three is okay. So this is um, I saw that I was going through my photographs and on my phone and thinking about what I could put in. Hmm. And there's a photograph from the 13th of March, 2020. And it's Mm -hmm. a photograph of some shopping that I bought from Lidl when the pandemic was just starting. Mm -hmm. And basically I just remember the panic and basically what I want to put in the time capsule is that bag of shopping because I want to say, um, I want people from the future to look at that and see the items that were bought in panic at the start of the global pandemic of 2020. And those items are like three tins of tomatoes, some pasta, some spaghetti, some muesli, some malted nut biscuits, some rice, some tins of beans and some bags of nuts. Mm. And it was just there in the corner. And it just that feeling of, well, everyone else is doing it. What? <laughs> well, I, I guess that I should do it, you know. And yeah. that's such a specific feeling of, oh, well, this, this feels like kind of new territory for me. I, don't, I don't, didn't know what was going on. And I just knew that the queues were massive. Mm. And I think everyone, you know, people were doing that. They're, yeah. they're just getting supplies, but we didn't know what it was going to be. No, and, which, um, which in a way must come out of a sort of a sense, although I don't think we were admitting it at the time, but a sense that actually that everything might fall apart. Uh, and that, you know, the idea of going to a shop and just buying things, that may disappear. Absolutely. Well, that, that, there was such a sense of unknowing. And I don't know, I think I was trying to find some sort of stability in like a bag of pasta <laughs> yeah. or, you know, rice or the tins of beans and just thinking, okay, well, if Lidl does shut down, then we've got this. It did feel like proper end of the world stuff for it a bit and then we kind of acclimatized to it and i think that the reason i wanted to put that in is because in the future that pandemic that will be there in the history won't it and mm. people and i thought like it would be interesting for someone in the future to look back and go oh right look this is what the pasta looked like then and mm. this was the shapes that they were using and you know but mainly just that feeling of um what can we do so that's why I wanted to put put that in. Yeah. When you look at it historically, those things, and they started talking about the other times in history that actually people had had a pandemic, that it had been a worldwide illness that was killing people all over the place. Of course, they didn't have the communication. We were lucky, really, I think, to be where we were because we could organise and say, well, actually, you'll all have to stop and we'll don't worry, we'll make sure you all get stuff which is extraordinary because there would have been a time when everybody would have gone, well, I know going out there, I might get that thing, but I've got to. So, you know, the Black Death, uh, which, you know, wiped out half the population of Europe. 
and you you think of uh, the 1930s, there was a flu pandemic that people were just dropping dead in the street, but they all carried on going to work. So in a way, I look on it as a sign that maybe we'd got to a point where we could, if we wanted to, take more care of each other. I think it's a shame that we haven't learned that from it. Absolutely. I I think that's it. I mean, I had a line in one of my shows of like, we all want each other to be at least okay, don't we? And mm. then some people would kind of go, yeah, like if there was 100 people there, maybe 15 people would go, yeah. And i say, don't we? And then everyone would say, yes. Yes. And because I really do think that we do. Mm-hmm. It's just that obviously people have got very busy lives and there's only people have only got so much bandwidth of care, basically. Mm. But I do really think that everyone wants everyone to be okay. It's just, it's just, I don't know how we can get there of showing that care on a daily basis to strangers. Yes. I think I, I still feel like so many people have still got the pandemic in their systems. I, I mean, it can't, we can't have just been in that and then just now everything's just fine and normal. Shut. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking from a very uneducated point of view. I'm just talking about my personal feelings. But I think, you know, if you look at it, it's why recently so many people reacted so viscerally to Suella Bravman saying that people in tents should be moved on or they shouldn't be allowed to be in tents and charities to give out tents should be prosecuted. And I did see the occasional sort of tweet where people said, well, you know, when you turn up to a shop every morning and there's someone in us, it's a bit of a pain. We've got to wash it down. You go, yeah, but would you, if it meant, you know, your shop front being a bit cleaner, would you be happy to say to those people, no, you can't have tents and your tents will be taken away from you? I think she felt that people were going to go, yeah, yeah, you're right, Suella. But in fact, there was a massive response to it, which is, if I see someone sleeping in a tent, my first thought isn't, what a shame they're messing my town up. My first thought is, look at those four people living in a tent. I wonder if I can help. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. And I think that with anything, you've got to lead by example. People have got to, if you're in a position of power, you've got to lead by example. Yeah. And if the... The word in government was empathy. Then I don't know. I don't know if there's much money in that, but it's it's it, for me that's ev- everything. And and I just see you see people. I live in Hackney, and you see people who are in situations that they 100% do not want to be in. And even even the other day when I was looking on the internet and there was really angry people in Waterloo station calling other people terrorists and things like that. And I kind of looked at them and thought, I don't think that they can be very happy. Maybe I'm just naive and some people are just evil, but I don't think they are. I think that everyone, when you're three and four year old, you're all right. And like things happen to people in life and they, and you get in bad situations and, Sometimes you just don't know where to put your anger, and it's. I think I do feel like people can really turn their lives around, and well, if they get the chance to. And it's just like I don't know. I feel that this is a brilliant planet, and we do have such a opportunity to live such a fantastic and spirited and glorious life. But it's like people do get screwed over, and they find themselves in situations, and as I said, they've got this anger. And it's like, well, where do I put it? And then because of online. Facebook groups, things like that. Like, oh well, this person's angry. I'm going to be angry with them. And you're like, oh come on, 
it shouldn't be like this. But it's interesting. You also said that, you know, I don't know how economic that is. But I think, and I've always thought, that actually empathy and care and looking out for everybody is incredibly economic. It makes complete sense. Discarding people in society or saying, well, actually, I can't see your worth when I mean financial. Therefore, you know, we're not going to waste money on you. But everybody, if looked after properly, has the potential to do extraordinary things. And so discarding people is, is a economically, I think, is an absurd thing to do. And I mean that globally. Absolutely, because everyone has got... So, like, I always... I mean, my problem is that I start sentences and don't finish them. But <laughs> I really wish that there was a stage in every town centre where people could just get up after work and just say... Hi, my name's Michael. Um, this is my. This is what's happened to my day today. Um, not in a performative way, just sharing mm-hmm. the reality of their life. And I think it'd be so interesting, and just seeing and hearing the reality, not what people are putting on Instagram, like no bells and whistles, and just saying. Yeah, I mean, I've got this thing that's going on in my life, and yeah, I've just been signed up to this football team, and yeah, I'm getting two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, but I've I've never had a good relationship with my dad, or you know, mm. or this has just happened to my mom, and it's like, oh wow! But instead, we're force-fed this kind of dream of reality that just doesn't exist. You get cut off, and normality just goes, and it's like, well, the price of that is just like, I I, I wouldn't want that. I mean, I'm I'm on a podcast trying to promote my tour, but I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't want, you know, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than people trying to get in your grill all the time. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're quite right. I think it would be a, a lovely thing. And I think though that shopping, when you think back to that time, which was very brief, but there was still a lot of damage done by it that is still, I think, existing. So I think that, that bag of shopping, particularly for people in the future to look back and go, that's weird. Mm. okay lovely we'll put that in there we are rob so number four number four well in the pandemic i'd moved in with my girlfriend and what happened was i feel like the pandemic accelerated relationships in one way or another for me it's almost like um because we spent so much time together in the pandemic we kind of it was like an intensive driving course, you know, you, do, you get it and then you're in there. You could handle skids and everything. Exactly. So um, we got married in 2022. And then for my birthday last year, Victoria booked a trip to Iceland. And I'd never been to Iceland before. And we went there and I've always loved the northern light like the thought of the northern lights mm-hmm. uh, maybe i mean i love the snowman and when they're in that and they're just like oh wow and then anyway we went to iceland and we'd been on this um trip around the thing or uh, the golden circle trip it was called and we went to um one of the uh, nature parks and, and we went to this place called the blue lagoon that was amazing and then we were gonna get in our minibus on the way back and there was a bit of activity and then the clouds was strange and then the northern lights came <laughs> and so the northern lights is what i'd like to put in maybe the northern lights in a bottle so people can see that the view that we had of the <laughs> northern lights and it was <laughs> that's just, nice it was just the most amazing 
act of nature that I've ever seen, really. And mm. it's just so big, just huge. And the thing is with the Northern Lights was, for me, it made me realise that every photograph of the Northern Lights I've ever seen, that's what they look like through a camera. But uh. to the naked eye, they're not quite as vivid as that. But for me, there was, it was still seeing this, the you know, the moving pinks and reds in the sky was just um, incredible, yeah. Incredible, so that's, yeah. that's what I put in. I've never seen them, but I still get very excited just by a rainbow. Yeah, yeah. And a double rainbow is is just magical beyond belief. So the idea of seeing the effects of solar winds from the you know the sun sent out these particles and they now hit our gravitational field and they create this thing, this fleeting thing. But apparently at the poles, it's going on all the time. Yeah, unbelievable. It was just such a special moment, but I was still worried about um, whether we were holding people up because some people had seen them and got <laughs> on the bus. And we, I was like, oh, mm. so I still had that kind of social anxiety of, yeah. oh, the Northern Lights are there, but I don't want to hold anyone up on the bus. <laughs> if they were locals, they would have gone, yeah, 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 it's always there. Yeah, just unbelievable. And then we saw them in Reykjavik on the harbour. And uh, it was, it was um, yeah, so that's my, that's my fourth one. Yeah. When you see people walking around not looking at it, that's extraordinary, isn't it, that we can become so used to such a miracle? Absolutely. Well, it's like John Cooper Clark's line. He's got a line of um, never do a gig where people still point at aeroplanes. And um, <laughs> But um, I don't know. It certainly added, it just added to the mystical nature of the place. Mm-hmm. And the Blue Lagoon is under threat at this very moment, isn't it? It Apparently. is, yeah. Yeah. Um, it struck me when I was there how alive the place it is. It's kind of got a quiet energy to it, and sometimes loud energy with the geezers. And yeah, it just felt like such a completely alien environment. But hopefully, in the time capsule, the Northern Lights will still hold a magicalness for people in the future. It's funny, I do love it. I mean, it must be a great podcast to be a part of this because. You get to think about people's present, but also the future a lot. Do you spend a lot of your time thinking about the future? I, I do. I do in life, I think. Maybe it's why I went for it, why it's, you know, the past and yet how that affects your future. I love that concept of, of Iceland being a place that was, was so clearly alive. Exactly. I mean, how fast, how quickly are we moving through space? I don't know the figures, but it's pretty fast, isn't it? And yeah. We've just got, we've got so used to it and we're born... You know, I'm looking out the window now, I can see a massive plane flying across the sky and then there's some <laughs> clouds and a bird and there's some trees and you kind of, to get used to it is, I mean, this is why people have, I've never taken many drugs, but I was at university and um, I had magic mushrooms once and it made me forget, I didn't know what anything was anymore. <laughs> I just didn't, my, my friend had a, uh, is camera like a digital camera and he held it up and i said what's that and he said it's a camera i was like i don't know what that is and um <laughs> so i don't know maybe, maybe that's why i try to look at things with fresh eyes i don't know i think some people in life you don't need to take drugs if you've got no. the sort of mind that will see the alternatives and i think that's that's true of comedy that you often see that the new meaning of a word that's often what comedy is is opening up people's eyes to the the alternative i think that that really maybe hits at the root of what i'm trying to do is it could be like this that's exactly what that joke is the you know 
the end of the earth, the start of the sky, what's all this bit in between? Yeah. It's just a new thought. You've gone through the whole of your life not thinking it. That alternative kind of method of thinking, I suppose, is just, I guess that is born from me looking at the world and going, oh, I wish it could be a bit more like this, or maybe Mm -hmm. if I look at it this way, then I might feel slightly better about it. Because, you know, I do... It does get, I think anyone with a tiny bit of empathy just gets, it's it's very easy to get very down. And trying to make people laugh and trying to make myself laugh is my kind of sword against the sadness, I guess. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things in life that, and you know, the Northern Lights is definitely one of those. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so all we've got is the one thing that you'd like to forget from your life. Okay, for that I've got, the act of losing pens, <laughs> which I just hate. I would love to see laid out on a floor or in a skip <laughs> how many pens I've lost. Because they just, maybe they don't like me. I know everyone loses pens, but it's getting ridiculous. Mm. It's really doing my head in. Like, <laughs> I made one time last year, I, had, I was like, right, I'm just going to put five pens in my bag, like Byros. And then within about a month, they're all gone. And I find, I find myself on the train looking for a pen. And I've, I've got a notes folder on my phone, but I like having a pen and writing down. And there's something about the act of it that seems to get the best out of me. And mm. the act of having a notebook and a pen is such a sacred space for me. So when I'm on a train and I've had an idea, and the thing is with my ideas that I have is that I've got to capture them in the exact words that they come into my brain. Because Mm -hmm. if I try to think, oh, what was that idea that you had the (laughs) other day? It was just, what was it? What were the words? And then I I fudge it. Mm -hmm. And because the words that I say on stage have got to be so specific to get the, I've tried to do it when, you know, I've tried to do one hour shows when I did it once when I'd had like a, a couple of pints before the show stupidly and I thought oh come on you pretty much know it and I just I just couldn't do it and it made me realize how specific each word each pause has to be for it mm-hmm. to work you know some people can just kind of have a vague idea as long as you get the last few words right of the punchline right and the timing right but all my heroes like Jerry Seinfeld Ivor Cutler they're almost like lyrics and they've got them memorized and that's the material and that's mm. how you do it, you know, mm. or Mitch Hedberg and these people. It's like, there's no room for error. And that's what, that's why I find live performance so brilliant yet challenging is that coming away from Edinburgh, I always just want to have, I say to myself, please just let me have three shows where I get all my words out. I don't stumble at all because yeah. What I've learned after these is that if you stumble a tiny little bit on your best line, the laughter in the room is halved. It's just ridiculous. Or Mm -hmm. you're saying a line and someone sneezes. It's like that is completely thrown. And because it's just, it's everyone's human. The attention in the room just goes to them. Bang. Yeah. When you're on a train, do you occasionally say to people, sorry, has anybody got a pen? Uh, and there will always be someone who will have a pen. I think the world is divided exactly between the people in life who have a pen and the people in life who don't. And you're clearly one of the people who doesn't have one. No, but I 
I always try to have one. Hens are a massive part of my life. It's just I know, but it's not in your nature. It's just not in your nature. I mean, maybe I should just buy like a really expensive pen, but I just, I know what happened. I just lose it. This was, I mean, classic example. I bought these probably about two weeks ago. It's, uh, I don't know if you can see that. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, about five bits. bics left in a packet. Yeah, yeah. And quite often they're on offer in Sainsbury's. <laughs> yes. And, um, <laughs> and you can get about, you can get, I think, 10 for maybe one ninety nine sometimes. And every time I just buy them, it's like, yeah, okay, they're gone. <laughs> so I would, in my thing that I never want to see again, or something that I'll bury, is the act of losing pens. Okay, it's in there. From now on, I mean, yeah, you can buy an expensive pen, because don't worry, you won't lose it. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Rob, it's an... I mean, it's a real pleasure to meet you, and I hope to meet you in the flesh sometime, but I'm definitely going to book to see the tour. I think you're a fantastic stand-up comedian, and as I said early on, the world will come to you. I'm sure of it. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, and great to meet you, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Mike. Have a good day. And you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Rob Orton. And we've got lots of other episodes already made and still to come on My Time Capsule, so please do subscribe and we'll tell you as soon as a new one is released. If you have a spare moment, then do rate or even review this podcast. Spotify now lets you comment, which I suppose is a sort of review. We do read all of them and are very grateful for all the lovely comments and helpful suggestions about future guests, etc. that you give us. Of course, you can also get in touch with us at mytimecapsulepodcast.com or through social media. X marks the spot mostly for me, but I won't Twitter on about it. We, that's me and My Time Capsule, are both also on Instagram, Facebook and on threads. Well, in threads, you might say. The theme tune was written by Pass the Peas Music and can be heard anytime on Spotify. This was a cast-off production. If you're looking for someone to produce your podcast, okay, just asking, it was released through Acast and produced by John Fenton Stevens. Okie dokie, picking a pokey, as Pauline used to say. See you next time. I'm gearing up to start rehearsals for Wicked in the West End. Have I mentioned I'm doing that? Probably not. I don't like to blow my own trumpet, as I'm sure you'll know if you listen regularly to this podcast. However, there is one thing I am proud of. I can honestly say I am a self-made man. Well, someone's got to take the blame. Bye! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.